Hi, I'm Bruce Weinstein. And I'm Mark Scarborough. And this is the Cooking Podcast, Cooking with Bruce and Mark. Except today it's not a cooking podcast, it's an email podcast. Okay, explain <laughs> that to me because I'm not sure I know well, how that works. listen, you can contact us at any time at bruceandmark.com and we get lots of emails from people. Oh, yes, we do. Lots. Uh, you can contact us through our website, bruceandmark.com. You go right on the splash page. There's a way to email us. Um, they actually all come to me, Mark, the writer, and I see all the emails and I answer them. And uh, sometimes we get questions about podcast uh, episodes and what we've done. And we've uh, I've always just answered them privately, but we got a giant email. Well, we did because giant. we took that hiatus and we didn't have answers for people. I know. Months, and this so. person came in with six terrific questions. And so we... I haven't seen this email, just so everybody knows. This is actually, I feel like I'm like on this 1950s quiz show. <laughs> So I'm not going to name the person on the air because I don't think that's cool because I didn't ask their permission. But I am going to say it's a him, which I already said. And he wrote this giant email. Was it Buttigieg? Um, no, it's not. And he wrote this email. And so I, I, it's six really nice questions. And I okay. want to answer them. So I'm going to play the quiz. I got the papers here. I'm like, I'm like <laughs> an old newsman with his papers on the desk. And I'm blindfolded. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, anyway, so I'm not going to touch that, um, which That's is usually what happens when you're blindfolded. Um, anyway, uh, I'm, I'm going to read you the questions, and we'll see where we get. So okay. the first thing is he bought our book, The Instant Pot Bible, and he notices that there are two different cooking times. One says Max in the box, um, and he says, I forget the other section. I don't have the book in front of me. I'm assuming Max is for the Max branded Instant Pot. So all the other brands I use rolled into the other line on the cooking table. Now, let me just explain. If you don't have the Instant Pot Bible, our big giant tome, everything is put in charts for the various sorts of Instant Pots, the different brands that, that I guess, well, the different models that the brand makes. So now I'm going to turn this over to you and let you explain exactly what it, it, it is between the Max and the other ones. Okay, so the first thing I want to do is clarify what you just said, which is the difference between brands and models. A lot of people say, well, which brand of Instant Pot did you get? Instant Pot is the brand, right? It's not... Right. It's not Cuisinart. It's not Figor. It's Instant This is hard because it's just like a Kleenex mm -hmm. has become to mean tissue, has come to mean tissue. Do you want a Kleenex? And then they don't hand you a branded Kleenex. They hand you a store brand. Yeah. And where I'm from in the South, it's like Coke because we always ask <laughs> what kind of Coke you want. The first time he said that to me, I, I assumed I was getting a Coke. I'm like, well, I want a Coke. What do you mean? He said, well, do you want orange Coke or yeah, Sprite? What do you want? You want orange or you want Sprite? What kind well, of Coke you want? <laughs> You want Dr. Peppers? And I, why was that always plural when I was a kid? Dr. Peppers? And why is that a Coke? I, well, it is. It's kind of Coke. Well, anyway, so let's skip that and say, okay, so we're talking so about... So Instant Pot is the brand of electric pressure group, right. and they make many models. Right. And every one of their models, whether you have the Lux, the Duo, um, the Max, or the Ultra, right. cooks at low pressure and high pressure. The Max has a third pressure setting. It's called Max... And so while all the machines have two, the max has three, and we accommodate for that in our recipes, telling you what you can set it on and giving you the timing if you use that max. So if you don't have a max machine, you ignore that uh, that column in the chart that says max. It's uh, it's actually a row. Okay, you ignore that the row, row in, the chart. in the chart. They go across. They go across horizontally. And so the first row is for the max machine. If you don't have a max machine, row ignore is it. For 
every other sort of instant pot. Now, I will say that up front that these books, somehow the South has invaded my mouth. I will say up front that these books are... Um, uh, written specifically for Instant Pots. They're not for other brands of pressure cooker, Fagor, Fagor, as we say in America, or Cuisinart. Those all have different pressure settings from the Instant Pots. Well, they also say they go to high and low. Right. What Mark means is that those high and lows are not the same. Not necessarily. It's not the same pressure and heat as the high and low in the Instant Pot. Right. In general, the Instant Pot machines are are higher pressure number and hotter for their low just the others, over, and the same thing for high. Just over 12 pounds per square inch in the normal Instant Pots, um, in everything except the max. Most of those other brands of electric pressure cooker are between 9 and 11. Under high pressure. Under high pressure, 9 to 11 PSI pounds per square inch. The in, Most Instant Pots are at 12. 12, uh, just a little over yeah. 12, and the max is actually up at 15. And what's so revolutionary about that is that is the same pressure that stovetop pressure right. cookers cook at. No electric maker has done that before. So you can actually cook in your electric now if you have a max as quickly as you can in your stovetop. Okay, that's a long, we've really taken a lot of time for that question. So let's go on to the second question. Okay. I've made a few items from your sheet cakes and slab pies. I should say this is a book that came out several years ago and everything, every single thing is made in a 13 by 18 inch sheet pan, a giant what's called a half hotel sheet if you're into industry terminology. It's a bigger pan than many people have as their standard sheet pan. This is the big old half hotel serves sheet pan. a crowd serves a crowd and this book everything was made in this exact same pan so once you buy your 13 by 18 inch lipped and you can make every recipe. Oh my it. gosh, it's it's so many recipes. But he says the cinnamon roll cake turned out great. Well, that's good. I love that. Then I made the classic cheesecake. It turned out wonderfully, tastes great. But I had a huge issue when trying to cut the thing. The knife kept sticking to the cake, and when pulling up the knife, it kept ripping apart the top layer, making it look horrible. Not something I want to serve to guests. As you say, you eat with your eyes. Oh, we do. We said that. Oh, that's well. nice. Uh, <laughs> so, is there a trick to get the cheesecake out of the pan to cut it, or some way to cut inside? the pan without tearing the cake. Yes, yes, yes. This is not a problem of using a sheet pan and making a sheet cheesecake. This is a problem of cheesecake in general. Yep. Even if you have a three-inch tall round cheesecake, when you stick a knife into it, straight down into the cake, and then you pull that knife straight back up, half of the cake is going to come with you ruining the top of it. <laughs> half. And that that is, seems a little bit of a... Yeah, it's, uh, it, from my literary background, a lito cheese. <laughs> a gross exaggeration. Anyway, go oh, on. I love gross things. <laughs> um, so what you have to do is the same thing you would do in a round normal cheesecake, which is use either a wet knife right. or and or once you cut that straight down, so you put the pointed, you put the edge of the knife straight down into the cake, right. rather than lifting it up, you drag it straight through the edge of the round cake. Now, the way you do that in a sheet pan is you put the knife down and you start right. to pull so it. Put it down on the table. You put, you put it blade edge down into the cake. Okay. And you start pulling it towards the rim of the pan. Mm -hmm. And as you get the blade towards the rim, you start lifting up the back of the blade till only the point is left at the rim. And then you take it out and you have reduced your drag on the top of that cake. So you a lot. stick it into the cake, you drag it towards you mm -hmm. uh, and toward then the rim of the cake. And as you get to the rim, you tip the knife up like on a like on a little axis. As if the point is a is a fulcrum. Right. As if the point and you made fun of me for using light to tease. As if the point is a fulcrum. <laughs> 
fulcrum. <laughs> and then by the time you get to the end, the, nut, the point is what's sticking straight that's down it, and you pull the knife straight up. That, but also a wet knife. A oh, wet well, knife yes, is, that's is key to getting cheesecakes out right. The other trick, and this works in almost every cake and pie in that book, if you have a board scraper, if you don't know what that is, it's basically an eight inch wide metal rectangle with a handle and it's used to scrape flour off of your cutting boards and your surfaces. I use that all the time to cut sheet cakes. Um, I put it in, it makes a perfect straight edge and then rather than pick it straight up, which would then also cause the cake to pull up, I just drag that all the way along to the edge and then carefully pull it up and making sure I don't bring too much cake with it. But I make sure that's wet too. Okay, third question. And this is from the podcast. Um, this is about the bagel podcast we did a while back of homemade making homemade bagels. Oh yeah, we did them in a food processor. I whined endlessly about why anyone would make homemade bagels like it's too much for any human to do. But anyway, he says we wrote everything down from the podcast and tried to follow the directions. We think we did okay, but is this dough super super sticky? Like so sticky it adheres to the wooden cutting board and sticks to your hand so bad it's super hard to get the dough off your fingers when forming the rings. Maybe we missed an ingredient. Uh, we weighed everything to the correct amounts. Oh, good for you. Uh, we cooked the bagels were also super dense. Is this normal? No. They were dense because the dough was too wet. Right. The dough shouldn't be that sticky. Right. What we say in the recipe, and when, we went, when uh, I listened to that podcast, um, it says that you have the dough, it's in a food processor, right. and the dough will form a satiny ball on top of the blades. Well, it won't do that if it's very sticky. So clearly... Um, what you did was it was sticky and then you pulled it out because you used the amount of flour we said to. Now, I know that baking is much more scientific than making a stew and you have to be much more careful with the ingredients you put in, but you also have to have some sense of flexibility. Right. And we did describe the dough as being satiny smooth. So if your dough is not satiny smooth, I know it means adding more flour than we called for. But you might have to, and there are many reasons why you yeah, might have I mean, to. Yeah, the basic reason is that flour is like a humidity sponge. It's an it it takes up ambient humidity, and it also dries out. Yeah. Flour is also notorious for drying out. If it's a humid day, or uh, you know, you, you, in some way, the flour is again a humid day. It actually is holding more moisture internally than on a normal day. If it's a dry day, or you live in Phoenix, or you have the air conditioner on in the summer, you've dropped the humidity. Yeah dramatically in your house and now the flour is holding much less water right. in it and so it's just this weird problem of how flour picks up ambient moisture mm -hmm. i think bruce said at one point a while ago to me we were discussing something else and he said a while ago remember how old bread recipes mm -hmm. used to be written that they were six to eight cups oh, of flour I and now that. of course no one would do that <laughs> yeah. okay so talk more about that so yeah if you look like a beard on bread and the old baking books um, they would always say uh, that these you books need, were written when dinosaurs crawled. <laughs> <I mean, laughs> then you need seriously. four to six cups of flour, a six to eight cups of flour, and always say, you know, add four cups and then see if the dough is satiny and smooth. If not, add more flour, like right. a quarter cup at a time, right. until it is, because there is just no way to to adjust up front for me to know how your flour will behave and, with your water. And it depends on whether you're living in the south or the north <laughs> on so many things. But it depends on us on this. We're back, Buttigieg. We're back to that Coke thing. That's from another podcast. Um, it's uh, We're back to that Coke thing in that uh, southern flour is often made with soft white flour. And flour sold in northern supermarkets is 
often 100% hard red wheat flour. Now, without going into a whole bit, I'm describing the type of wheat grains that are ground in flour, getting a whole bit into varietals, that does make a huge difference too between whether you're working with uh, soft white flour, yeah. like the White Lily brand is, or whether you're working with King Arthur, which is mostly, much of it is it, hard red wheat flour. It will all make a difference on how much liquid the flour absorbs, as will... You know, it's not, it's many brands use different kinds of grains from yep. different farms. Yep. If there's a slightly different protein yep. um, value, which, you know, pro gluten is the protein in flour. Right. And so if there's a higher gluten content or a lower gluten content, it will absorb or will not absorb more or less liquid. So you just have to keep an open mind about baking bread. Now, I'm not talking cakes as much, but bread, that you have to follow the description of the dough and add more flour or more liquid depending upon how so, it comes out. So, dear listener, we have done nothing for your dilemma except to tell you that you have to kind of uh, fudge it around. Be and, flexible. And be flexible with it a bit and get the dough to the right visual consistency. Yeah. Okay, last a few, three more questions. He says about our book, your Blend Revolution cookbook. He's talking about our book, The Turbo Blender Dessert Revolution. Ooh, revolution. Blender blades go around <laughs> and around. Get it? Uh, yeah, okay. Just let me say one thing about this book. This book uh, it came about actually because we were on QVC for another book. Bruce and I were on QVC and they were selling a some maybe a Vitamix was the special today's special value. It was. it was that it, and so they were making all these things on stage with this Vitamix, uh, and we were back in the green. They room. They were making soup and they were heating it up. Right, and we were back in the green room, and I turned to Bruce and I said, "Now listen, what is to keep me from putting flour, a stick of butter, some sugar, um, raw chocolate, a couple eggs, etc., in here, turning it on and making brownie batter? Why can't I do that since this thing is so powerful? Or even more, why can't I make the thing heat up custards?" Because the blades spin so fast, they create so much friction that they heat a soup. We thought, let's put in milk and chocolate and sugar and eggs and a little bit of flour. And in seven minutes, the heat of the blades spinning has turned that into chocolate pudding. So we wrote a whole book we did. about how to make desserts in the blender. So what blender would you recommend for this book? Your podcast says the Vitamix is tall and makes things harder to vortex, which is somewhat true. Um, we'll get to why it's somewhat true in a minute. Another one didn't have a vent and have a little centerpiece that you have to lift off for a vent. I prefer not to have any of these issues. What brand model and what might you recommend? Now, the reason I say it's somewhat true about the Vitamix is because the Vitamix has changed its since format. Since we wrote the book. And since we did that podcast. And since we did that podcast, Vitamix went away from making that super tall, narrow blender to doing the more squat, square blender, which really helps things fall to the blades a lot easier and a lot better. So they they basically copied Blendtec. Right. They were all on the Blendtec train. Blendtec came out with this really high-end turbo blender, which is fabulous. Blendtec is fabulous, too. And they came out with this blender. And, um, you know, you probably saw the commercials where they would grind uh, bricks into quarry dust. They would grind (laughs) iPhones into dust. I mean, they were just doing crazy things with this blender in their ads. But um, any of those, I think turbo blenders like Blendtec, I think, Cuisinart makes one? No, KitchenAid makes KitchenAid one. KitchenAid makes right? one. KitchenAid Their ProLine blender is really great. And yeah. Vitamix makes one. You want The best one has a squatter canister, not the old-fashioned really tall mm. Vitamix canister. I right? will tell you that I would go for the Vitamix with the squat canister because the KitchenAid is great. I have one of those too, but it's louder. The Vitamix mm. is quieter. Mm. And the Blendtec, although it's powerful and it could do a lot of stuff, 
it's lightweight, and I find that the motor housing tends to dance around the counter when things ah, are in there. So well, okay. I would go for the Vitamix with the Squatter Square. Okay, so the newer Vitamix. Okay, next question, fifth question. And what ice cream maker would you recommend for all of your ice cream books? We do have just an absolute metric ton of ice cream books. I know I want the compressor type, but what brand model? This is harder. Now, let me just explain before I turn this question over to Bruce that ice cream makers are coming in two kinds, right? There's the old Donvier kind. Where you store the right, canister in the freezer. Put the mm-hmm. canister in the freezer and you make it go. Or there's the um, kind, the fancy kind, which used to be just fancy Italian makers, but now a lot of people make them that have the compressor built yep. into the machine so you don't have to freeze anything And that's advance. the kind this guy wants. And I think those are, those are better. I would always recommend one of those because you can make batch after batch after batch without having to re freeze the canister which takes overnight um okay so we had dozens of ice cream makers and you kept one i, or two. I kept two and they're both cuisinarts they okay, just work nicely kept. for me i like the shape of them they stack well um they did they, within 35 minutes they made a quart and a half of ice cream right. and they just i like them and let me say also that let me add this to this too that uh the trick to making ice cream really really creamy beautiful ice cream that's like wow premium style ice cream in those pint containers in the store is to make sure everything is cold even if you have a compressor you put the lid of the machine the dasher which is that paddle thing that turns around the basket all of that goes in the freezer as you're making the custard so Everything is cold. Because the colder all your equipment is, the faster the ice cream will churn into something creamy without absorbing too much air. That's right. And so you have a denser, chewier ice cream that's not just all foam. Okay, and so the last question is I want to get your Boozy Blender book. Oh, the Boozy Blender. Um, Will will a Ninja work okay for this book? I currently have a Ninja and it it shouldn't melt the ice, but still be powerful enough to blend everything. Or do you have a better blender? If your ninja can make a frozen daiquiri that you, and if you make a smoothie, it's a blender. In this case, you're not looking for anything to super pulverize ice. You don't right. want a super power blender. Right. A ninja should be just fine. You know what? I, don't buy a new blender. Open the book. Make a drink. If you're if your ninja makes it the way you like, great. If you find that it doesn't crush the ice enough, then go buy yourself put in the Vitamix. I like the old, you know, and the Vitamix is good. And I like those old-fashioned. What are the ones with the metal canister? Wearings. The wearings. And the only reason I like them is because the metal canister frosts. It gets a little frosty. You kind of know exactly when it's ready. And you do. You know exactly when yeah. the drink is ready. I'm going to tell a story about the Boozy Blender. Say it. Boozy Blender, fun. Yeah, okay. So here's the deal. We wrote this book a while ago, and it was it's a small book, and it's about frozen drinks. And um, if you don't know, if you don't lead the creative life, you may not know this and write books or act or are a musician, but I'm going to tell you, anybody who lives a creative life knows that at every single second of your life, your career is about to implode. Oh, every time the curtain goes down or the doors close or you finish a new book, it is the last time you're ever going to work. Right, and so we had come to a point where we thought we'd written a huge book for Random House, the great big pressure cooker book, and we were convinced that our career had ended. The book e- sold, even though we sold like forty thousand copies on QVC in right. one night. The yeah. book sold really well, but you know we just we couldn't come up with another book idea. Um, Random House didn't seem terribly interested, but anyway, they ultimately did, and they approached us about writing a book about frozen drinks, which was great, and blender drinks for the summer, but. 
You know, I mean, it was just, it was like a breath of fresh air. Like, oh my God, yeah, we survived. <laughs> so we met our publisher, our editor publisher, um, in the city, New York City at one point for... Chinese food, because where else am I going to eat? Yeah, oh God. Anyway, <laughs> um, so we met for Chinese food. And when we, she was already at the table when we arrived. And she, we walked at the table and she said... So, boozy blender, fun. And it was... <laughs> It was so diminishing. It was Fun. like it was like she taken scissors Fun. and just cut mine off right there. Like I was like, oh my god. So your career fun. <laughs> I was like, oh my god. I'm I'm like diminished. We still love her, but she's but of, she's out like, of the business. Um <laughs> I like you can't even see. I'm like that character. Oh, like the character in that podcast. If you don't know the podcast Mission to Zix, you should watch it. But there's a character on there that's a puddle of fluid, and that's all the characters. It's a space parody, a Star Wars parody podcast, and I felt like the character who's only a puddle of fluid. Like, oh no, I'm just uh, the boozy blender. Fun. So this is the end of my career, isn't it? It's fun. Okay, so that that brings us to the end of the six questions, and I just want to say that if you want to write us about anything you seen our books anything you see um in the podcast or here i mean here in the podcast or on our channel on youtube cooking with bruce and mark find our website bruceandmark.com send us a question we are happy to answer those questions we may answer them privately to you i may write you back since it comes to me mark um, and i'll write you right back with an answer or we may read it on the air we may absolutely turn it into a show just like this that has gone on and on and on thank you so much dear listener for all these questions it's uh it's been great to be able to answer them right yep and we'll be back next week with another episode of cooking with bruce and mark <laughs>